Welcome back to another week in the world of the official Sasta podcast with me, Harry Stebbings. And if you haven't already, you can see all things behind the scenes here on Instagram at hstebbings1996 with two Bs. It'd be awesome to see you there. But to our episode today, and a founder I've wanted to have on the show for a very long time, and so I'm thrilled to welcome John Stein, founder and CEO at Betterment, to the hot seat today. Now, Betterment is the online financial advisor built for people who refuse to settle for average investing. To date, John has raised over $275 million in VC funding with Betterment from the likes of Bessemer Venture Partners, Menlo Ventures, Kinovic and Francisco Partners, just to name a few. And prior to founding Betterment, John spent four years as a consultant at First Manhattan Consulting Group, where he really honed his experience in working with banks and brokers, including, check this out, revitalizing a bank in Australia with the launch of a best-in-market auto finance offering, resulting in 50% lift in revenue. I love that case. As a result of his phenomenal success though with Betterment, John's won many awards, including Fortune's 40 Under 40, and I'd also want and say a huge thank you to the wonderful Charles Birnbaum at Bessemer for the intro to John today. However, before we welcome John to the hot seat today, what is life without a bit of order? Well, that's where Infusionsoft come in. Infusionsoft allows you to put all your customer info in one place so that it's easier to see the latest status on tasks, sales opportunities, and email results. Plus, you can even set up a workflow that automatically sends customizable emails to help move a potential customer forward. That and many more reasons is why over 30,000 small businesses love and trust Infusionsoft Infusionsoft, and you can sign up today for a 14-day free trial with not even a credit card required, and that's on Infusionsoft.com. But what about the people behind the order? We all know that your next crucial job as a founder and CEO is people operations, whether it be hiring execs, developing managers, retaining that top talent, and building a high-performing culture. Well, that's why you need Lattice. Lattice is the number one people management solution for growing companies, and it helps companies like Asana, Reddit, and Cruise build a really strong company culture. And with Lattice, it's easy to launch through 360 reviews, share ongoing feedback, facilitate one-on-ones, set up goal tracking, and even run employee engagement surveys. And check this out, Lattice is the only solution that combines performance management and employee engagement so operators can really make sure their top performers are happy. And Lattice is giving away three months of Lattice free to Sasta listeners. Just go to lattice.com forward slash Sasta to receive that offer. That's L-A-T-T-I-C-E dot com forward slash Sasta. Build an award-winning culture with Lattice, the number one people management solution. Finally, if you regularly listen to podcasts, you've heard of Betterment, the smart way to manage your money. They use cutting-edge technology to build a really personalized portfolio and provide you with fiduciary financial advice for one low transparent fee. But did you know they can also provide your company with your 401k plan? We all know choosing a 401k for your company can be a time-consuming and pretty confusing process, let's be honest. Well, with Betterment, it doesn't have to be. Betterment for Business is a turnkey 401k solution that offers three things, really. Ease of use, personalized financial advice and very competitive pricing and that's why Compass, Casper and Harry's are just some of the incredible companies that use Betterment's 401k to help further their employees' financial wellness and you can learn more today at betterment.com forward slash Sasta that's betterment.com forward slash Sasta however you've heard quite enough from me so now I'm thrilled to hand over to John Stein founder and CEO at Betterment Good that's perfect, okay I think we're warmed up John, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show today. It's huge thanks to Charles at Bessemer for the intro, but thank you so much for joining me today, John. Thanks for having me, Harry. It's a pleasure to be here. 
Well, I would love to kick off, though, with a little on you. So tell me, John, when you were a little boy, did you always dream of democratizing the world of investing? And how did you come to found Betterment? I never wanted to be in financial services. I didn't know anyone in financial services growing up. I grew up in Dallas, Texas, and I don't think there have been banks in Texas, or at least at that time, there weren't any big banks based in Texas since the SNL crisis of the 70s and 80s. And you know, people don't remember that, but it really wiped out a lot of the Texas institutions. I felt far away from the capitals of finance in New York and London and elsewhere in the world. And both my parents were city planners by training. They became consultants, consultant and a real estate lawyer. And I just didn't know what, what finance was all about. And I got to college and I fell in love with economics. But I loved economics because it was this study of humanity, the science of how societies work and how they function better and how if we make better decisions, the world will be a better place. And that was really fascinating to me. But when I asked people what they were going to do with their economics degree, and many of them said they were going to go, you know, help large institutions and wealthy people make a lot more money. That didn't fascinate me. I just thought, yeah, how can I how can I use this to help society? Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, I couldn't agree more with you on that mission. But I do want to break the interview today up, John, into a couple of core components, really, when it comes to company building, starting with the people that make it happen, the team, then moving to the role of CEO and the firm itself, and then finishing on maybe the investors that fund this. Does that work for you? That sounds great. Okay, so we all agree companies nothing without the people within it. So I want to start today on the team creation side. I always think the hardest element is kind of that first hire. When do you think is fundamentally the right time to really start building out a team? Think back to your early days. What was that decision-making process on those first few hires? Initially, I thought I could build it all myself. I really believed that I would be the lead engineer and the head of product and the CEO and all the things. And that was my business plan. I was just going to build this automated investing service and make it go. As I began work, I took on more and more and things were taking longer than I wanted. And I had taken a class in business school that said that companies with co-founders are more successful than companies without. And so I was working at that time with my roommate, Sean, who was an engineer at Google. And I met a, a lawyer, Eli, who knew securities law. And we started working together. And I, as we went, we just kept needing more people. And I feel the right time to add people is when you absolutely can't do the job anymore with the team that you have. There's something so pressing it has to be done. You need somebody to do it. That's a pretty good indicator that it's time to hire. Can I ask, are there any mental hurdles that you often see founders kind of hesitate on jumping over that really have to be kind of combated when adding to that first few hires? Well, sure. I always saw myself as a creator and someone who could do all the things and wanted to be involved in all the things. And it's hard to let go of things. The mental hurdle you have to do is, is to trust your colleagues and really give things away so that you can focus on new stuff and change your job and, and focus on the next challenge. You mentioned kind of the building out of the founding team there. In terms of kind of the first few hires as employees, I'm really intrigued. How do you think about kind of building the candidate pipeline in the early days? Are there elements that really worked for you when you look back on it? In the early days, it was a lot of my network that I was going to. I went to my former colleagues, to my business school friends, to my college friends, to my high school friends, literally all of those people. Somebody from each of those groups and, and others worked with me. And then I was going to the New York Tech Meetup, which at that time was a small deal. It became a much bigger deal in early 10s. But through that small community, I got to know a lot of people who were really passionate about changing things. And they became early employees and connectors as well. 
Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I'm interested because when it comes to kind of adding to the the team there and the qualities that one looks for, I recently had Mark Mader on the show from Smartsheet, and he stated that people often over-index culture and IQ is actually the fundamental element, a slightly contrarian thing to say. So where do you stand on the balance between the two, culture versus IQ? It's a false dichotomy, but both are essential, of course. You can't have a bunch of idiots running a, a company and have it be successful. But you also, you can't have a bunch of assholes running a company and have it be really successful. Successful. You need both. And when we hire, we talk about hiring for three things, horsepower, passion, and openness. Horsepower to me is, is about intellectual curiosity, IQ, as you say, and people who want to just solve really challenging problems and, and are good at it. Passion, you don't have to be passionate about betterment to work here, but it could be user-centric design or Ruby on Rails or whatever it is that you're passionate about that's relevant to our mission. I feel like that makes you a better colleague. And openness is how I think about the EQ or the culture piece of it. It's about listening well and asking questions and collaborating and knowing that if we solicit all the opinions in the room, we're going to come to a better decision than any individual would on their own. Can I ask, John, in terms of kind of stress testing that pre-hire, are there any elements that one can do to really kind of draw out the desired qualities like that passion and openness pre-hire in the interview? I like to ask every candidate some of the same questions. I ask them about their journey in life and what they've done and the decisions along the way. And in that, I try to understand first, do they have this intellectual curiosity? Are they constantly looking for new challenges? When they talk about their biggest accomplishment, are they excited? Do they have that passion about it? Do they feel like really invested in the work that they're doing? That's a, a way that I gauge passion. How do they answer when I say why betterment or what do you want to do next? Do they have a passion about the next step? And on openness, I always give them time to ask me questions. And that's one way I sort of assess, you know, how curious are they? How open are they? How much are they listening? How much do they want to know about other people? But I also can assess it through the kinds of stories that they tell and the way that they collaborated with past groups. No interview is perfect, but those are some of the things that I do to try to assess. Absolutely. Now tell me, John, how big is the team today? Today we have about 250 people. Okay, so 250 people. I always think that it's crucial to have a really great onboarding experience, the first 60 days being really optimized for the employee. I would love your advice here. What does great onboarding look like to you? I've just hired my first few employees. What do you wish you'd known at the beginning that you know now, having an onboarding 250 now? Well, in the early days, it was relatively easy because everyone was in the same tiny room and everyone heard what everyone else was doing and was part of all the conversations. And that made it really easy for somebody to come in and pick up the culture and pick up the customers and pick up the products all at the same time. As you scale, I think the challenge is to bring it back to that, to bring it back to that small room setting where you don't overwhelm somebody on the first day, but anything they need to know and anyone they need to be in contact with is easily reachable. And for a while, we tried just documenting that on a wiki and we still do that. As we've matured, we've built a much more robust onboarding process where there's training and key individuals come and present about the different areas of the company to new hires. I do new hire lunches with everyone as do others on on the executive team just to get to know the new classes. And we put people through an ongoing series of education. We all spend time with customers on the phones, which is one of my favorite things. I just did my customer week last week and I absolutely love doing that and I'm happy that everyone still gets to engage with our customers in that way. I'm really interested there. Sorry, uh, off schedule, but you said about kind of everyone spending time with customers on the phone. Does that include engineers? And how do you get maybe traditional functions that don't engage in such a consumer-facing role to be excited about kind of engaging with customers again? It includes engineers, our finance team, our people team. Everyone talks to customers because that's who we are here to serve. And I said at the beginning of 2018, my New Year's resolution was to bring the customers 
customer to life at Betterment. And I realized, you know, we've always been a customer-centric company, but as we've scaled, a lot of us are further away from the customer than we were before. And so I just have to constantly be trying to bring those customers in and, and get everyone to feel them and to feel their pain and their needs so that we can better serve them. Everybody does it. I believe everyone here always will be talking to our customers. No, absolutely. And it's a sign of, as you know, a truly great organization. But you mentioned kind of being slightly removed with the scaling. And often that's because of the specialization of roles. I'm interested with the maturation of the company. How did you think about the transition from the jack of all trades, maybe, to the much more specialist, vertically focused individual? And what do you think is needed to do that successfully? Everyone here wants to have impact. It's part of hiring high horsepower people. They, they want to achieve, they want to strive and do. So a couple of things have helped. One is focusing on the vision. Everyone is here for the mission. Everyone is motivated and passionate about that vision. And so even if you're working on a specialist role, you understand how your contributions ladder up through our objectives and key results into that ultimate vision of the company. And so that's been helpful to inspire the team. Another thing is that we're flexible and we're open to people rotating to different roles. So we've had lots of people who started in one position and moved over time into another thing that they were interested in. And I believe as we scale, that will become increasingly important to get people exposure to more different areas of the business so that we don't become overly siloed. No, absolutely. It was actually Mariam Nafisi from Minted that stressed the importance of having kind of that flexibility within the organization to do that. I am really interested in terms of kind of logo hires. Often there's kind of a lot of prestige associated with the logo hires. I had Anand Samuel from CB Insights, another New York founder on the show, and he said that we often overestimate pedigree. How do you think about logo hires? And does that really factor into a, a lot of considerations, do you think, today? I look for the same thing, even in a top-level hire that I look for in a junior hire. It's those same qualities. And as I think about the people who have worked out best here, it's people who have exhibited them, who have been eager for more accountability, have really owned it and led it. One of our values is own it and lead it. Who've been passionate about efficiency, another of our values. And I think that applies no matter whether you're junior or been in the industry for 40 years. No, I agree with you. I do have one final question on team before we kind of discuss a bit of CEO-ship, so to speak. And it's when someone maybe is under consideration, maybe they're struggling, how do you think about the kind of consideration of when a stretch candidate is potentially a stretch too far? What does that decision-making look like for you? Well, I try to always hire the best for every role. And sometimes we find somebody that we're just in love with opportunistically, and we have to change the role to fit the person. And sometimes we find somebody that we're absolutely in love with, and it turns out we don't really have a role for that person. And that's okay, too. You, know, you can keep in touch, careers are long, and perhaps your paths will cross again. For sure. No, absolutely. I do want to move to the role of CEO this day, because we've neglected to kind of discuss you and your role within the company there. I've interviewed many, and the prevailing wisdom is the dominant role of CEO is management upscaling. I'm really interested, John, would you agree with this kind of notion or thesis? And how do you define the role of CEO today? I think of my role as three things, building the team, aligning the team, empowering the team. Certainly, it starts with building the team, hiring the right people. I also believe an important job of the CEO is to tell the story of the company and to lay out the vision that the team can align around so that they're all moving in the same direction. And then empowering the team is about just making sure that that team has care and feeding, right? It's the culture, it's the resources, it's the communication architecture, and so on, that they need to do the best work of their lives. And as long as I'm doing those things, we'll be wildly successful. In terms of the empowering element, I had Scott Belsky on the show recently, and he said that you've got to manufacture that kind of encouragement 
encouragement. Are there any elements that have really worked for you in providing kind of real morale spikes for the team as a whole that maybe aren't so conventional? We do so much to engage with our team. I don't think it's the most important stuff. I think that the most important thing is hiring the right people. It starts there, as you've said. But the furniture, the trappings, the things that make us comfortable are pieces like our retreats. We go on on a summer retreat and a winter retreat. We have lunches in the office with our own chef who everyone loves. And the office space itself is something that people really appreciate about Betterment that can bring our dogs in. It's a very comfortable environment. We've paid a lot of attention to employee happiness. And it's not just those like physical things. It's also things like how much are we investing in great engineering tools so that the engineers' lives are good, that they can deploy easily and, and spend their time on the most interesting problems. And look, it's not just engineers. It's all of us. We all want to work on the interesting, challenging stuff. So empowering the team is about allowing the team to do their very best work. My word, John, with dogs and an in-house chef, I think I'd love a job if you're up for it. <laughs> I would love to ask one final question though, on kind of that element of CEOship. And it's in terms of kind of the New York ecosystem, you're at the center of it. You've seen many scaling CEOs. Where do you see CEOs tend to make mistakes or maybe kind of falter in terms of high growth times and scaling the team? It's always challenging. And I think every industry, every CEO, every situation has its own challenges. And these are the hard things. People are, are challenging. While people hiring the right people is so important, you never bat a thousand. Figuring that out quickly and making changes when necessary is challenging. Uh, changing organizational structures is challenging. Facing competition is challenging. Figuring out pricing. Oh, there's just so many different things that a CEO has to deal with and has to hire their team to be able to deal with. I'm constantly thinking about how do I hire more great people to help me solve the next set of challenges. John, does it ever get easier? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I don't I don't expect it to. You can hire more people. And look, I've since day one, I've said my goal is to hire myself out of a job eventually, right? I would like to continue to hire people to do all the things. But the more people that we bring on, you know, I find new <laughs> new challenges to, to occupy my time. And then I have to hire new people to take on those. Uh, no, I love that kind of hiring yourself and scaling out of roles. But we've spoken about the scaling of teams there. We spoke about the scaling of you, the CEO. I talk, want to talk about the scaling of the company itself, so to speak. So from that perspective, say we've achieved product market fit. What are the two to three things that you think all companies really need to focus on when product market fit is apparent and they need to scale? Could be in the investment phase, so to speak. After a company's achieved product market fit, you've got to continue to hire the right people, but also identify the right metrics to track and to guide future decisions. Listen to customers. Don't just take for granted that now you're a leader. You've got to continue to listen so that you can innovate in ways that are meaningful to those customers. And I think if you're doing those things, watching the metrics, listening to customers and have the right people in place, then you'll scale well. Can I ask, in terms of metric tracking, what's your kind of guiding indicator in terms of metric that you'll wake up and look at to determine the, the health of the business, so to speak? I look at annually occurring revenues and net deposits because we're uh, largely an assets under management driven business. But we also have a 401k platform that we sell that has participant fees. We have an advisory platform that we sell that has some servicing fees. So there are other measures of revenue that I look at as well. But in terms of achieving product market fit, so to speak, uh, how do you think about capital efficiency? And when's the right time to really put the pedal to the metal on the burn? Are there leading indicators? When you see healthy unit economics coming in and more demand than you can handle, that's a great sign that you want to lean in and put more capital behind that. 
I like to use the analogy of just finding campfires and wanting to turn them into bonfires. I think it's a great one. When you see a little bit of smoke, you want to lay on some more wood and, and see if you can't make it burn brighter. You mentioned unit economics there. Does that have to be a, a central thought for founders from day one, do you think? Or do you think it's something you can kind of scale into over time and scaling of demand? Scaling will impact unit economics tremendously. You don't have to have it. You shouldn't have it perfect probably on day one. You might have thought about the business too much if you do, but of course you need to have a view towards towards what it'll be in the long run in order to have a compelling opportunity that you would want to work for or that anyone would want to invest in. Yeah, no, absolutely. Speaking of investing in that, you have raised over $275 million with Betterment. I'm really interested. How do you know when you meet those investors that those that want to invest is really a good match for you and the company? Are there kind of leading indicators for you in that fit? We've been so lucky with our investors that they all share our vision and they have this long-term focus on better serving customers. And it's one of the things that lifts me and carries me and helps me stay focused is the board is focused on that long term. Our Series A, we raised from Bessemer. And I like to say it was love at first pitch. We, we told them what we were up to. And they said, we've been looking for a company helping us solve this problem of what should I do with my money for a couple of years? We'd like to, to be in business with you. At each round, we've found those kinds of partners who have shared our vision, who've shared our passion. And so they've been great partners to us in, in scaling. Can I ask, what advice would you give? Say you're an angel investor in a couple of companies who are going out to raise rounds. What advice would you give to them, having been through several rounds of fundraising now very successfully yourself? Take time to find investors who understand your business and the unique considerations, time horizon, and other constraints required. Secure clean terms. Keep it simple. Look to market. Don't accept anything tricky because that'll most likely bleed into follow-on rounds and make it more difficult for you to raise going forward. And make sure that you're bringing everyone along. Folks within the company get excited about fundraising and want to know what's what's happening. And so teaching them is a good opportunity for growing them and sharing them as leaders. It's funny. Do you agree with transparency in fundraising? Because it can be brilliant in terms of morale and education, but it, it can also be disheartening sometimes if it takes a little longer than expected or with the nose. How do you think about that and the transparency with the team around it? I believe in transparency in everything, including in those cases where it might take longer. It's about properly setting expectations up front that, hey, we're looking, we're not sure if we're going to raise money, but we're thinking about it. We're talking to some people. I'd say it's, it's part of my job always to be in market and getting to know where is the market today? What are the opportunities out there for us? So I'm always having those kinds of conversations. And, and I believe transparency is essential, at least to our culture. I understand there are some companies that are not transparent, but we're transparent to our customers about how we make money. We're transparent to our employees about our business plan as, as well as to our customers. And all of that, I, I believe, is important to who we are. Yeah, no, and I love that focus on transparency. I do want to finish, though, with a quick fire round, John. So this is my favorite of any element of the interview. So I say a short statement and you give me your immediate thoughts in about 60 seconds or less. Are you strapped in and ready? I'm ready. Okay, so tell me, I'm on a flight to the East Coast. What book should I be reading? Currently, I'm reading Measure What Matters. I'm enjoying that. I really enjoyed the life of Cornelius Vanderbilt. It's called The First Tycoon. That's a favorite if you're looking for a longer read. No, I love that. I haven't read the Cornelius Vanderbilt, but that's one to add to the list. From the entire company building process, what do you know now that you wish you'd known at the beginning of the journey? Don't try to do everything at once. Prioritization is key. You have to focus. You always are going to have a million good ideas, but you have to focus on the very best ones. One piece of advice you give to people starting to work on their idea? 
make it real as quickly as possible. You can talk all you want about your ideas, but if you can show somebody something tangible, something real, you're going to have a lot more traction. This is a tough one and a self-reflective one. What's your biggest strength and weakness? My biggest strength is my openness and my collaborative style. It makes me good at bringing the team together, aligning the team, uh, and I believe getting to a better place than I would if I did it on, on my own. My biggest weakness, I don't have a very strong ego. I think I can be deferential and I think that can be good at times, but it can also slow us down. Can people scale through company stages or do you think they are kind of, as a lot of people say in SaaS, destined for one stage? I think a lot of folks can scale and some of it's about endurance, right? It's a long run. If you want to be a public company, especially in our industry and financial services, that's a long-term investment. There have been very few companies that have made that uh, journey fast. And so it's about having a long-term focus and remaining committed and keeping energy up over the long term. And then I want to finish today on the very exciting one being the next five years for you and for Betterment and those exciting times ahead. I think that what we are doing is inevitable and I cannot imagine a future where we have self-driving cars, but we don't have self-managing wallets. And I believe no one is better positioned to build that self-managing wallet than we are to manage your cash flow, your everyday transactions, turning those into smart long-term investments that will pay dividends for you as a customer for years to come. John, it really has been such a pleasure. As I said, I heard so many great things from Charles at Bessemer. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Harry. My pleasure. So much fun with John on the show there, and so many exciting times ahead with Betterman. And if you want to find out more from John, you can on Twitter at John Stein. Likewise, we'd love to see you behind the scenes here at Sasta. You can do that on Instagram at hstebbings1996. But before we leave you today, what is life without a bit of order? Well, that's where Infusionsoft come in. Infusionsoft allows you to put all your customer info in one place so that it's easier to see the latest status on tasks, sales opportunities, and email results. Plus, you can even set up a workflow that automatically sends customizable emails to help move a potential customer forward. That and many more reasons is why over 30,000 small businesses love and trust Infusionsoft. And you can sign up today for a 14-day free trial with not even a credit card required, and that's on Infusionsoft.com. But what about the people behind the order? We all know that your next crucial job as a founder and CEO is people operations, whether it be hiring execs, developing managers, retaining that top talent, and building a high-performing culture. Well, that's why you need Lattice. Lattice is the number one people manager management solution for growing companies, and it helps companies like Asana, Reddit, and Cruise build a really strong company culture. And with Lattice, it's easy to launch 360 reviews, share ongoing feedback, facilitate one-on-ones, set up goal tracking, and even run employee engagement surveys. And check this out, Lattice is the only solution that combines performance management and employee engagement, so operators can really make sure their top performers are happy. And Lattice is giving away three months of Lattice free to SASTA listeners. Just go to lattice.com forward slash SASTA to receive that offer. That's L-A-T-T-I-C-E dot com forward slash Sasta. Build an award-winning culture with Lattice, the number one people management solution. Finally, if you regularly listen to podcasts, you've heard of Betterment, the smart way to manage your money. They use cutting-edge technology to build a really personalized portfolio and provide you with fiduciary financial advice for one low transparent fee. But did you know they can also provide your company with your 401k plan? We all know choosing a 401k for your company can be a time-consuming and pretty confusing process, let's be honest. Well, with 
betterment, it doesn't have to be. Betterment for business is a turnkey 401k solution that offers three things, really. Ease of use, personalized financial advice, and very competitive pricing. And that's why Compass, Casper, and Harry's are just some of the incredible companies that use Betterment's 401k to help further their employees' financial wellness. And you can learn more today at betterment.com forward slash Sasta. That's betterment.com forward slash Sasta. As always, I so appreciate all your support, and I cannot wait to bring you a set of brilliant episodes next week.